I mean, I've followed you on social media for a while now, so mm -hmm. I was really excited when, um, when you know, we kind of somehow got this connection. And I, I love some of your posts. In fact, one of the things that I marked Only down is like. <laughs> everyone and welcome to Middleish, the podcast about moderation in all things. I'm Aaron Green. And I'm Michael Gray. And Michael. Am I supposed, am I supposed to introduce myself? Go yes. ahead. You can if you want. <laughs> I'm Dr. Spencer Nadolsky. Dr. Spencer. I don't know if you guys are waiting for me. You're sitting there like there's a pause. I was like, am I supposed to say something? Dr. Spencer, we have been waiting for you for a very long time. <laughs> nice. It is, it's an incredible honor to have Dr. Spencer Nadolsky on the podcast today, and I'm just going to do a quick intro so our listeners uh, and viewers who have not met Dr. Spencer Nadolsky on social media or in any other avenue have a great understanding of this guy. So Dr. Nadolsky is a licensed practicing board certified family physician who specializes in bariatric care and lipidology. His philosophy is one that pushes lifestyle over pharmaceuticals when possible. Dr. Nadolsky completed his undergrad at University of North Carolina, where he also wrestled in the heavyweight division for the UNC Tar Heels. His experience in athletics shaped his approach to medicine, using lifestyle as the primary intervention for his patients. He is known on social media as the doc who lifts and specializes in memeology on Instagram. And we're going to get into some of his uh, very creative and, and I think really awesome, funny memes as well. So we're really excited for this conversation. Yeah. Thank you uh, for being here. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome, Dr. Nadolsky. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Excited. I listened to your guys' uh, podcast uh, while working out a couple of weeks ago. It was definitely uplifting. I, I think I hit some PRs there. So okay, nice. <laughs> I was going to ask: Is it were you like angry lifting after a while, or were you like, oh yeah, this is great, like pump me up? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely pump up, pump up. Uh. Well, you mentioned awesome. on uh, that day, uh, you, you told me you said I'm going to go listen to your podcast while I work out. And a little bit later, you were like, this could be interesting. Listen to this while I work out. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> So I'm glad it wasn't, you know, a, a bad situation for it. Doesn't you. take much to get me going, I guess. Right? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, so Dr. Nadolsky, give us a little bit of your backstory. What got you into medicine? Um, we obviously know the athletics played a role in that, but um, kind of give us a little little bit of your backstory. You have an interesting little journey compared to like my brother. My brother's a doctor. He's an endocrinologist. You may want to have him on the podcast at some point, but um, cool. he's four years older than I am. Uh, we grew up in an athletic uh, academic family. Both parents were teachers. Father was a wrestling football coach, uh, biology teacher, chemistry teacher, really into science like Darwin, evolution, all these different things, nutrition and exercise uh, starting very young. Well, my brother was much more intense than I was as, as a very young kid. You can see we have a video on our like uh, YouTube where he's, I don't know, he's like eight or nine and he's jacked. He looks like one of those kids that they, that goes viral, but like back then they didn't have YouTube. So, right. uh, you know, he never went viral, but he, he, I mean, he's got abs, pecs and, and biceps, you can see just as a very little kid. And then I come in and I'm like messing around. I don't even want to have anything to do with it, but 
he he was very good from the beginning in in high school. Uh, four times state finalist, two times state champ uh, wrestler, but shorter stature than me. Um, uh, people always ask, like we looked like twins, but because of our height difference, people always ask, "Was there a milkman involved? Like, why is why is he so much shorter than you?" But we look we look a lot alike. I'm just he's like a uh, like an accordion shrunken down version of me, but yeah, um, your faces do look very similar. I yeah, I came yeah. across your brother's picture and I was like, oh my gosh, they they look like twins almost. Yeah, definitely yeah, and brothers. <laughs> and what's funny is that we were like the same. And I don't remember this. I mean, I remember this, but I never thought about it. At the same time, we were like the same height for a while, and it's like he's four years older than I am. And so people <laughs> thought we were twins at one point, which didn't make sense. And at the time, I was like, oh, yeah. But now I'm like, no, that shouldn't have been. He's, why was I that tall? I'm not that. I'm 6'2". He's 5'6". Anyway, so oh, wow. he, he he was very good wrestler right at the beginning of, of um, high school. He was good, obviously, as a younger kid. But high school was a big uh, a big turnaround because that's where you get go against seniors and all that thing. In fact, his freshman year, he beat a a senior wrestler is, is um, in the state finals up in Michigan, which is pretty good wrestling up there. Well, so he went through, he went, uh, ended up going to Michigan state for wrestling, did very well there. But as I came into college, everybody's like, Oh, we got another Nadalski. We're going to have another four time uh, amazing wrestler. I didn't even start my first year. I was, I was, I was prepubescent tall, trying to grow into my body and not very strong relatively compared to my brother. I was strong, but you know, relatively to my brother, his size, mm-hmm. not strong at all. So it was kind of embarrassing uh, because here, dad's the wrestling coach and brother is this amazing guy. Everybody had a lot of expectations for me. And I, here I am this kind of prepubescent growing into my body guy. <laughs> so I, I took it upon myself to really like get into nutrition and exercise science. I was like, there's only I know I have to work hard. I know I have to do the right things and I got to do it now. Otherwise I'm never going to be, I can't rely on my genetics apparently, which was a shame because it would have been nice to just do that, but you can't. Uh, yeah. So, that's always what people hope is like, you're just born this way. Like, I here thought, we go. <laughs> I thought because of him, apparently not. So I had to work extremely hard. Well, the next year I started, but didn't even make it to state, let alone make it to the state finals, let alone win. But then puberty kicks in right after my, like right after my sophomore season, I'm lifting hard, eating a lot, um, doing everything I should be according to the science at the time. This is in high school, high school, sophomore year and puberty kicks in. I start filling out, end up going to this, what we call uh, freestyle uh, nationals, which is like in between uh, high school sports in the summer before football season starts, I ended up becoming an all American. And it was, it was right then and there sparked boom, had an amazing junior season. Then I won a state championship. I went from like a zero to hero pretty quickly, you know, puberty played a part, but it was, uh, I owe a lot to the the science of and hard work for nutrition and exercise. Mm-hmm. I ended up being all state as a football player, which is another uh, thing I want to do, but I couldn't before I was too small. I grew into this kind of 230 pound, uh, relatively chiseled body for a, a high schooler. Yeah. And then I, long story short, I ended up going to Michigan state to play football, uh, ended up at UNC wrestling, tried to do both sports and realized I wasn't Bo Jackson should probably pick one sport. <laughs> it was really tough. I mean, like, I don't I can't explain. I, I was like losing too much weight during the uh, wrestling season to then try to go to spring ball. I had no off season. It's pretty tough. Anyway, 
did pretty well at wrestling regardless. Uh, and then my idea was to use this. Uh, I wasn't into perform. I wasn't into helping other people perform better. I don't know. It just didn't get me going. I was like, really, this, the foundation of what I do for sports performance is really what you need to do for chronic disease management, prevention, uh, treatment, remission, whatever you want to call it. And so I thought, well, I'll go to medical school. My aunt was a cardiologist. She was like, you got to go to medical school. She thought I was, everybody said I should be an orthopedic surgeon, but I will say that because everybody, all the big athletes do ortho, ortho for some reason. Right. Right. Big, big, dumb meatheads go do ortho. That's what they said. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I was like, you know, so I went and actually shadowed my um, uh, team doctor and I went and it just took one day and I was like, I know that I don't want to do that. He was just you know, replacing knees, fixing shoulders, whatever. Mm. And I was like, this, I don't know. Yeah. They make it, they make a lot of money and they, they get to hang out with sports people all day. But it was just like, I know I don't want to do that. And eventually I was like, you know, I really want to treat chronic disease with lifestyle. So I went to medical school and um, ended up going the family medicine route, although that's a whole nother conversation because uh, I probably, there's not a specialty that really fit what I wanted to do, which is really mm -hmm. like, like cardiometabolic medicine. It's yeah. like, um, it's basically you take an endocrinologist and a cardiologist, you take the lifestyle obesity related aspects of those two and you combine them they're they're talking about making it now but that's really what i wanted to do it didn't exist so i did family medicine then i got an extra specialty born obesity extra specialty born in lipidology and my brother's an endocrinologist and i hang out with endocrinologists and cardiologists and kind of made my own specialty uh, not to mention the memes that I make, but uh, that's right. a whole different thing too. So that's, that's, Memeology. That's yeah, where so, the real money is. Yeah, that's that's where it's at. That's the the big pharma pays big. Wow. Big memes, so. well, but yeah, that's the that's the story, uh, the gist of it. Yeah, I love so just a few of the high points for me. Hearing that is one, you put in some very diligent and hard work to get where you are physique wise, athletically, yeah. health wise. And I think that's really important for people to hear, especially mm -hmm. with the social media following that you have, you know, from the outside looking in with social media, a lot of times you see somebody with, you know, a, an athletic physique or whatever, and you kind of assume that they just have an easy road or they just, yeah. you know, they found some yeah. magic pill or magic bullet and you are proof that it's, a combination of genetics, hard work, dedication, and years and years of just over and over and over <laughs> rinse and repeat, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, and starting young helped too. I made a blog about this, about like how is obesity a choice? And in it, I show like two different families. So if you're brought up, you know, nature and nurture mm -hmm. both count. So I was brought yeah. up in a family that was like, we have pretty lean genetics and favorable genetics, but you can't rely on those alone. Right. So uh, having that potential there and then nurturing it, you know, and mm -hmm. having a family that supported it and everything was really yeah. instrumental. So like if I tried later on in life, um, may not be as um, fruitful, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. The, the one other thing that I really like about your story is that you went and I kind of had a similar journey where you go into your profession and you find the profession interests you like you wanted to be a doctor but mm. you just didn't quite find that marriage of like this is what I want to do to impact people and in, within this profession this is where I fit right. and so you created it 
yeah. you know, and, and I think it's really easy for people to kind of get bogged down in some of the dogma in their profession and think this is the box I fit into. Um, and Michael and I have talked about this before too, that, you know, you've got to find your place in the world of health and fitness and, you know, impacting people. Yeah. So yep, that's exactly. cool. I had to kind of make my own thing. <laughs> so you, you talk a lot about, um, just kind of your approach is, you know, a lot of about sustainability, right? The long term, and that often the best approach is approaching that reasonably, right? With moderation and taking things in bite-sized chunks and that kind of stuff. And I've also heard you talk about how that's kind of counter to a lot of um, where typical medicine is right now. So how did you get from kind of like going through school and learning about like, this is how we do things to where you are now that's kind of counter to a lot of that? Um, how, how did that journey happen for you? Yeah. So you go, so you go through medical school, they, um, they say, I mean, in, in all the lectures, yeah, you know, diet and exercise are a good thing, mm-hmm. but you know, here's the drug that you're going to give for this and here's how the drug works and blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. But when you look at the, what, like the pathophysiology of what's occurring in most chronic diseases now, I mean, you know, there are infectious diseases that we don't see as much anymore because of our good public health, sanitation, mm-hmm. vaccines, whatever. Um, uh, but then most chronic disease, non-communicable, meaning like non-infectious, it's lifestyle related. And, you know, yeah, it's nice that we have this awesome pharmacology to, to treat and we have these options. But if you look at the crux of it all, it's like, well, why aren't we, why aren't we really pushing the lifestyle? Why, what it came down to is that most people that go into medicine don't really have that mindset, number one. Number two, they don't push it in school for whatever reason, as much as I think they should, it's changing now. And then, but then it's after school is where you get the real medical training. Like you take that knowledge and now you got to apply it. So then right. you go to residency and it's still not pushed much, especially in like a primary care setting where it's like really important. Mm-hmm. So I just bucked the, the system. It, it sounds weird, but it's, I had to go against the grain in, mm-hmm. in, in these uh, cases. That was very, very loud um, somewhat angry. <laughs> and uh, so going through, I'll never forget, I've told this story on, on Instagram and Facebook before, but uh, I'll never forget my first quarterly evaluation, my intern year. It's, so you go through four years of medical school, then your uh, residency is usually around three, up to like eight years if you choose like neurosurgery. And then you can even specialize further from there doing fellowships and whatever. But my first quarterly evaluation, my intern year, my first year out of medical school at at a family medicine residency, um, where we should be focusing on, you know, the family unit prevention, chronic disease. My advisor told me that they thought I was uh, too focused on lifestyle. And Hmm. it was, it was really, I I was angry. Here I am a lowly (laughs) little intern and I, I, and you know, you can say, I mean, I can get pretty fiery on Instagram, but I was, I was like, well, no, you know what the problem is, is like, I'm not too overzealous about lifestyles. Like you're underzealous. And yeah. I kind of fired back. <laughs> and I remember calling, I, you know, I had to get some gas afterwards. Uh, I left pretty, pretty mad left and was at the gas station filling up. And I called my brother and I told him about it, who he was, uh, he had finished internal medicine residency, I think at that time. 
And we were just yelling back and forth like, yeah, this, what, what are they talking about? They don't know what they're talking about. Well, fast forward, I ended up getting the intern of the year award. Um, uh, so some, someone in the residency said, you know what? I think he's actually right. They actually gave me an award for being, I don't know. I don't know how they figured out I was the best intern. I'm not really sure, but maybe I was, maybe I made uh, jokes and made people laugh, but uh <laughs> Uh, but then by the end, I remember my advisor said, um, you know what, uh, I was wrong and I think you're right. We should be mm. doing that. So I changed their minds. It, I guess the, the point yeah. is that I had to go against the grain, uh, mm -hmm. to make, to make it work, uh, which is unfortunate, but I will, yeah. I will say, I think the, the paradigm starting to change. I think there's, there's yeah. new push for lifestyle as medicine. Mm -hmm. You know, not to be a shill about it, like, oh, you don't need drugs or whatever. But like, right. if we support and give a, a, a possibility for people to use mm -hmm. lifestyles medicine, I think it's it's important. And I think that trend is changing. Yeah. Hopefully not too little too late, but we'll see. Right. Yeah. Right. Do you think that the, that part of that is like this, does the medical community kind of err on the side of being reactive versus proactive? Do you think that's part of it? Oh, yeah. No, that yeah. that's the that's the underlying issue all the way. It's a systemic issue though. I mean, I almost joined, a, a, well, I started a, a preventive medicine uh, public health program. I had to uh, withdraw due to family care issues because my wife's, my wife's a doctor too. And she's in the Navy and she can't, you can't change what the Navy tells her to do. I can only mm. change what I do because I'm a sure. civilian, but mm. so, and we have two kids, but, uh, and the nanny sure. quit, blah, 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 blah. Nobody cares. <laughs> but it was, it was, you know, learning about public health and understanding how that should uh, be the underlying uh, focus where we change the, the shift, how we think about this. So one of the cool things they were talking about, it's like, yeah, these kids in this area have more incidences of asthma. Should we just make sure they all have their inhalers all the time? Mm. Well, no, they found out if they didn't have air conditioning. So they found out it actually saved more money to give this family an air conditioning unit to, so mm -hmm. they wouldn't have as many asthma exacerbations so they wouldn't end up in the hospital and cause well, you know obviously harm and, and money and right. whatever so i think if we can find ways to incorporate public health into medicine and have have them work together is is ideal um so medicine currently it's it's reactive we need to have ways to prevent it it's a systemic issue i don't know how to do it exactly but wow. i know it needs sure. to be done yeah well and then thinking about something like at putting an air conditioner in someone's home <laughs> to yeah. impact their health you know I, we had a a friend months ago on the podcast who uh works with green space in communities and tree planting and the shade canopy and he was explaining how these things impact public health and the health mm. of the community and i think it's it's very telling and especially with your work in you know, promoting like lifestyle and just very, we'll get into some of your philosophy a little more on like diet and exercise and how you approach that, but just really thinking outside the box of healthcare right. and mm -hmm. really moving in a preventative direction instead of just like fix, you know, put a bandaid on the issue or fix the issue we're seeing instead of going back upstream and looking at what's mm -hmm. causing it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to pretend I'm some woke, you know, woke, whatever, but like, you know, you look at my <laughs> zip code where I live here in San Diego, 
versus the zip code, you know, however many miles away. And just because of where you live, there's probably a 10 year mm -hmm. life expectancy difference. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those are the social determinants of health. So, you know, whereas you got these wellness gurus on Instagram, you got to do your little detox teas mm -hmm. and whatever, and you got to do these things. It's like, that's, that's not health. I mean, really the baseline and foundations of health are, 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 much different than what yeah, you're discussing. Yeah, totally. So, um, and mm -hmm. and you're you're so into like so one of the things I I've you know read your I went through your website I went through your social media and I kind of like gleaned some of your philosophy. And one of the things that you are just very consistent about is making these small sustainable changes mm -hmm. to build awareness and. I love it because Michael and I rail all the time about these like <laughs> huge, you know, like extreme diets or like, this is the exact rules you need to follow. Or like you said, detoxes and all this detail kind of stuff or like huge sweeping changes where hearing from someone like you who does have that like profound foundation in health and understanding of physiology, even you are saying, take these very small steps and do, mm -hmm. taking one step is better than no steps at all. It doesn't have to be all or none. Yeah, no, that's the all or nothing uh, mindset's an interesting, it's illogical, but we all do it. So mm -hmm. like, especially when it comes to dieting, mm -hmm. for some reason, I'm the analogy I use is that like, when it comes to dieting, it's always all or nothing, either you're on a diet mm -hmm. or you're off a diet, which makes no sense to me. Because like you think about like in grade school, you didn't get 100% or 0%, right. you know, you get an A, A minus, B, B plus, whatever, B minus, C. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot, there's a lot in between there. There's no such, and, and to further, there is no like such thing as a perfect diet anyway. So like, right. what's the oh, point amen. of thinking at that, right? <laughs> so I will say, I will just mention that, you know, some, some patients do do well with, uh, for some reason they do well with an extreme, what we would consider an ex extreme approach. And sometimes mm -hmm. it works really well for them if we can be more, have some more precision with who that would work for versus not, that would be great, but we, we're just mm -hmm. not there. Yeah. Uh, sometimes things click, but I, I think, I think there are a lot of people that, that feel they need to do something extreme in order to make it work. And uh, I don't, I don't know if I have a study to prove this, but I think for the vast majority of people, we'd have some impact on a global scale. If we can just move the needle in a few different things a little bit more. Right. So just a little bit more movement, uh, a little bit fewer processed, highly processed, ultra processed foods, a little bit more vegetables, fruit, whatever. Mm -hmm. I like yeah. lean protein. The, the <laughs> plant-based people might hate me for that, but whatever. You know, stuff like that. A little <laughs> you can't you're make a, you're everybody a, happy. You're a no, meat shell, right? <laughs> yeah, shell for big, Working for big, big meat. cattle, big meat. <laughs> Well, and I think that just speaks to, again, you know, and it's something we talk about a lot. I know you talk about a lot. It's just, it's got to be individualized. You know, this idea that there's, there's a thing that works for everyone is going about it backwards, you know, and yeah, some people may do really well with, with more extreme approach, but that's them, you know, yeah. and, and that just speaks to that importance of it's got to fit the individual. It's got to fit their life and their family and their history and their personality and their, all these things. Yeah. And, and I'm sure you see it a lot, but just that idea that we've got to, we got to find the right thing. You know, mm -hmm. I'm the problem. I've got to find the solution versus like, I am a complex, you know, being 
that needs an approach to fit me. Um, it's it's one of those things that I, I think it's be, it seems to me is like becoming more prevalent in the health and fitness and nutrition industries. Um, but it's certainly been lacking for a while. But it seems like it's picking up some yeah, steam. I think so. Yeah, I, I, more education to the uh, you know kind of these fitness folks who are loud and outspoken. Mm-hmm. And I think they're shifting a little bit, but you know, you still get some loud and outspoken people kind of pushing the other way. And it's like, mm-hmm. all right, well, you don't know what you're talking about, but I guess if that's your brand, you want to be loud. Like, for example, like the, there was an intermittent fasting study that just came out. Actually, my friend uh, published it in JAMA. It was all about how it didn't look like this eating, the shorter eating window had much of an effect uh, on average. And that's been shown in all sorts of other studies. They've, they've done this so many different times. It's not any better when you control for the calories, blah, 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 blah. Well, a bunch of people are like, that doesn't make sense. Intermittent fasting worked for me, me, and all these other people. It <laughs> works. You just have to actually stick to it. I'm like, yeah, that's, yeah. So there's something called a waterfall plot where you look at like, you can look at the individuals. Some people gained weight, some people lost weight, but then the average is out to like not much difference than any other yeah. type of treatment. And so some people are like, but what about them? It's like, yeah, what about them? That's what happens in the real world. We have some people that don't do that well, some people that do really well. The same thing with exercise. Uh, and I point this out. This is, they, there's a guy, um, this Dr. Chikisik. He's a exercise physiologist. He publishes uh, lots of exercise studies and he talks at these conferences. And he always throws the waterfall plot up there of, of when they don't do anything dietary wise, but they add exercise. And it's really interesting. Some people would just exercise and we don't know what else changed. Maybe their diet did change, but just with exercise, they lost a lot of weight. And then some people actually gained weight (laughs) and the average isn't that much. And then people are like, see, exercise doesn't work. Well, it's like, again, you know, on the average, yeah, it doesn't, it's not going to help as much as say like dietary changes, but clearly it worked for some of these people. And then for some people it made them hungrier. I don't know what happened. Uh, Who knows, but um, And that's one of the hard things about research is Mm -hmm. you have to be research literate to understand what is being looked at here. And I mean, for example, a study that maybe people would conclude, oh, exercise doesn't work. Well, if we're specifically looking at weight as the only metric, but we have a vast amount of information that says exercise is so health protective and, and for mental health too, not just physical. Right. There are so many benefits from it that you can't just ignore all of that other body of research. And this is just one study. Can you mm-hmm. tell us the value <laughs> of just of your understanding of research and like keeping this big picture approach instead of getting like bogged down into just one study? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard because, I mean, I've, you know, you go to medical school, they don't teach you exactly how to read studies in medical school. You're kind of drinking from a fire hose from just the basic knowledge base that you need for becoming a physician. So then you go to residency and you start doing journal club and that's where you start learning. But even still, I'm kind of disappointed by a lot of my physician friends of some of the stuff they post. I'm like, like for example, the pandemic has just been the worst for misinformation. <laughs> So I, oh, man. You know, I don't want to get political or anything. It's just, but like, let's say like hydroxychloroquine, for example, you know, there's a big hoopla about no hydroxychloroquine works. These, these doctors are saying it works. I'm like, okay, nice hypothesis you got there. Why don't we test it? It's been tested. It doesn't seem to be effective. And then they keep, you know, shifting the goalposts. And then they, what, what happens is these new like retrospective case studies come out where basically 
in a retrospective thing, they they have to go back and look at the charts and then try to find a compare group, a control yeah. group to compare to retrospectively. <laughs> and it's there's so many confounders. We don't know why this per, these people actually got treated with hydroxychloroquine versus these other people. So really what you have to do is called the randomized control trial. You guys may have talked about it, where you start people at the same this kind of homogenous group, similar uh, uh, characteristics, attributes, whatever. And you give one a placebo, one not. The people that are giving it don't know which one's giving which. And then the statistical person and all these people are blinded to where it comes out and you go, is there a benefit or not? That's the only way we can't look back. And I'm, I guess I'm, I'm disappointed at a lot of physicians who post these things like, see, I told you hydroxychloroquine works when it's like, that was a retrospective design. Like, what are you talking about? That's like the first thing we should have learned in, in, uh, in research. And so what I guess what I'm trying to say is that it, it's, it's really hard. Clearly doctors don't know what they're doing with it. Um, and I guess I would just try to be skeptical when you see a, a headline that says anything about any new study in diet or exercise or anything, apparently for that matter. And um, if you really want to learn, you just, you know, you, it's hard to it's hard to figure out who to surround yourself with, too, because right. yeah, you may right. think well, some guru is good and then they post something weird and it's like, oh, man, <laughs> I don't know who to trust anymore. So. Right. I, I just say, just keep, you know, stay skeptical, take everything with a grain of salt, but, you know, keep, you know, there are books on how to learn study design and right. if you really want to know, but uh, there's some basics there that are, that would probably get you out in a pinch just yeah. to, right. Well, and I think that speaks tough. like if physicians, if it's tricky for physicians, yeah, then, you know, Kathy, who's selling keto tea in her spare time. <laughs> maybe doesn't have the best handle on it. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know? and, and they're the loudest too. That's the thing. It's right. just like, well, oh, man. you know, I, right? I'm like, well, it could be this and this. And they're like, no, it's this. I mean, they come on my Instagram too. And I'm like, mm-hmm. let me click on their profile. Like, what are they? And it's like, oh, that's a, um, I always, for some reason, use uh, an air conditioner uh, repairman uh, because I wouldn't say like, I know anything about air conditioning repair. Right. I know nothing about it. Someone better fix this because I don't know what the first thing, <laughs> but they're a better doctor than I am. They're a better researcher than Dr. Fauci and better immune, mm-hmm. you know, like all these different things. I'm like, oh God, <laughs> but right. there's a lot of state. They're more sure than I am, more sure than anybody. I don't know. Well, right. And I think on one of your posts or it was probably a meme. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> in your, in your memeology uh, degree that you have. Um, one of the things you said is when someone makes a bold claim that doesn't seem correct and your spidey sense kicks in, <laughs> maybe trust that you're probably right. And, you know, something like plants cause cancer or whatever, yeah. you know, like there, we hear these things and mm-hmm. you're exactly right with the pandemic. Everybody is an armchair infectious disease doctor and everybody's an armchair, you know, epidemiologist. And, yeah. and I really think, you know, when I think about if I have a question on something and I'm like, uh, this doesn't sound right, but I am not the expert start asking questions. Like you said, remain skeptical. And I, I like to add, remain curious. So mm-hmm. one of the other flip sides of science is that it's evolving. It's yeah. always evolving. We're always learning more. And that's, I think one of the wonderful things about science is nothing is like absolutely written in stone final. We 
learn more like every day, every year. And people often will not trust that because they, what we knew, you know, last year or 20 years ago, when, especially with health and nutrition, all of a sudden people are like, oh, well, they were wrong. You know, Mm -hmm. eggs are good for us. What should we do with that? And these scientists and nutritionists don't know what they're talking about. No, remain curious. Yep. But skeptical. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's the issue of the pandemic is mm-hmm. in, I mean, massive amounts of information have changed. Like we didn't have masks, you know, we weren't recommending masks necessarily. You know, some, some think it was due to the shortage and they, we needed to prevent uh, an influx of people grabbing all the masks, all these different things. And then people are like, see, they're saying that they're flip-flopping. I'm like, no, that's how science works. It's like, right. <laughs> we're not really sure. And now we're getting more information. Yeah, it seems to be there might be a benefit. I think people aren't used to that. They want more certainty. And then they think yeah. that, um, you know, especially with like epidemiology, I mean, those those models, you know, it's like we, we have some vague information. We put them in a model that looks like everybody's going to die, right? Well, it's like, okay, let's just be cautious here. Mm-hmm. And everybody gets upset because it's like, well, no, there's nobody's dying from this. I don't even know anybody with this. And then we're getting more information because it finally come the virus comes here. And now and now we're we're learning about we're learning about it every day. Mm-hmm. It looks I don't know. And I, I don't even want to say anything here because this comes out. It's going to be different in a few a few months. But like, <laughs> right. And, and then, you know, I'll recommend something just I recommend what the, the I'm just trying to relay what the, the I'm not an expert in in uh, immunology. Right. or infectious disease. I got a good base of it. In fact, I took extra classes in epidemiology and statistical analyses and, and infectious disease and all these different things uh, just recently. But I still, in public health, I, w- I still wouldn't call myself an expert, but I'm relaying what uh, the experts are saying. And then people are getting mad at me. And I'm just like, all right, nah, I'm going to stop talking about this because people just are angry no matter what I say, apparently. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Topic. Yeah. When it's like, you know, would you, it's almost like people would rather just have old information, old outdated information. That's what they're comfortable with. than like new revelations, right? Like if we learn something new about how to deal with pandemic or nutrition, whatever, like people are like, I don't want it because that conflicts with what I already know. So just tell me the old stuff, you know? And and especially like in, in the pandemic, like viruses are alive. They're like, they, they morph and they change and they adapt. And like, it's not, yep. it's not like a, you know, I don't know, a potato is a potato. You know what I mean? Like it's a little more complex than that. Yeah, no, I know. And I think, yeah, people just aren't comfortable with, with yeah. this fluidity of, uh, of, of knowledge, I guess. I yeah. don't know. Which yeah. I really think speaks to, I don't know if it's just an innate thing or what, but I think it really speaks to how we approach getting healthier it's like we we just want to do what we know and there's there's safety and there's comfort there and stepping outside into unknown things or to flexibility right you know i think a lot of people they want that like you know i think that's why these fad diets are so popular it's like you just do x y and z and you do that and you'll be fine you know don't do anything else where that's not the way it is you got to bend you got to flex you know life changes you lose a job you lose a you know a parent you stuff happens. Yeah. And if you can't have that flexibility, you're going to be in trouble. And it's the same thing we're seeing here. It's like, we just, I just want the thing I want to know, and then that's it. And then nothing changes and I'll be good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's the other thing with, you know, with these randomized trials, we try to, when it comes to nutrition trials and diet and weight loss, it's different than giving a pill. So we give mm. a pill uh, and a placebo, 
that's extremely simple. We watch the two groups and maybe that separates in this, what's called a Kaplan-Meier curve and more people have events uh, in the placebo, fewer people have uh, uh, events in the, um, uh, the experimental group, uh, cardiovac, like heart attacks, whatever. And, and then they see it's like, this is statistically significant. There is a difference and it was just a placebo versus a drug. Whereas nutrition and let's say weight loss specifically, like you said, it's hard to get a true homogenous group of people with a, a very uh, finite intervention because so many things are going on that, like you said, what about that person? Oh gosh, they didn't lose any weight. Well, it just so happens they got married or divorced. Their mm-hmm. kids going to school off to college. I don't know what's going on with them. Right. <laughs> something, something that's just really hard. Whereas like in the drug trial, all they have to do is take a pill with this. It's, it's a mm. massive intervention yeah, with so multiple complex. aspects that yeah. are hitting from multiple yeah. angles. It's, it's kind of tough. Um, and yeah, you can, you can still see whether, there's an overall benefit or not. And, and that, but it's just, it's tough. Um, that's why weight loss and nutrition and everything is tough. It's a lot harder than yeah. just taking a drug. Super complex. Yeah. So I'm curious about your lipidology research and just some like updated findings or maybe kind of your overall lens through which you're seeing, you know, dietary recommendations and approaches for heart health, because of course we can all agree that over the years, over the last few decades, there has been some conflicting research. You know, some people are like swearing by MCTs and some people are swearing that coconut oil is like the savior. Mm -hmm. And then some people are like totally paleo keto. And then you see these protective health benefits. I mean, whoa, there's so much noise. So we have an expert who I, I trust in your ability to like look at the research just based on this conversation. So what are you seeing? Yeah. So the nutritional lipidology is like my expertise too. You know, I'm good with the drugs and whatever I have to be because of the tests I I take and the whatever. But um, there's a lot of other lipidologists who are just strictly into the pharmacology. They don't even care about the lifestyle, which is Mm. again, I don't know. I don't think that's a good idea, but whatever. Um, So Basically, you know, we, if you grew up, I don't know how old you guys are. I'm 36. So I remember in the nineties, mm-hmm. um, elementary school, we get the food pyramid, the six to 11 servings of grains. I remember it was on the bottom. And then as you go up the oils and whatever at the top, well, mm-hmm. well, that's interesting. Uh, the thing is lipids are, um, pretty complex. What we do know is that having lower levels of what's called LDL uh, particles or LDL cholesterol. It's really the particles. Just an, just an aside, the, the, the cholesterol that we eat uh, is different than the cholesterol that's actually circulating our blood. The, the cholesterol circulating in our blood has to be carried by what's called lipoproteins. These, the cholesterol, it, it would be like putting oil in water and looking at the separation. So you have to have, they're hydrophobic. So you have to have a hydrophilic um, a carrier. So they have these little proteins that um, are kind of working around with these lipids, both triglycerides of fatty acids and, uh, and there's a bunch of phospholipids and whatever, but the, the, the sterile, the cholesterol. And so these things circulate our blood, the, what people call good and bad cholesterol. It's kind of a misnomer because cholesterol is cholesterol. Mm. So uh, that's really the, these ApoB containing cholesterol particles uh, and those are the LDL, the VLDL, IDL, 
particles. HDL particles don't have this ApoB particle on them. So those don't cause atherosclerosis. These things with ApoB get, can get into your arteries, become what's called retained, and then your macro, you know, they get modified somehow and then these macrophages come and eat them up and then you start making these foam cells and it makes fatty uh, streaks and then makes atherosclerosis. It's a chronic type, type of thing. It takes a long time, by the way. So um, I wanted to make this uh, differentiation because most people think, well, you just eat cholesterol and then it just kind of gets in your blood and then it clogs your arteries. Mm -hmm. And most people think, oh, you eat butter and it's solid at room temperature. And so then when you eat it, it just kind of like goes into your bloodstream, goes into your bloodstream and then <laughs> somehow, yeah, and can just kind of congeals butter and then butter. clogs your arteries. Cause they show these pictures of your arteries. It looks like it's butter. It does. I mean, and so that's what they think time magazine. I've seen the headlines and whatever. Yeah. It's much more complex. So our liver is very important in regulating what's actually circulating in our bloodstream mm -hmm. and what we eat, uh, doesn't, doesn't necessarily match what is actually circulating in our bloodstream. So let's say you eat, uh, let's say just pure cholesterol, some, something that has a lot of cholesterol like eggs. Well, your, the, your blood cholesterol, the lipoproteins carrying the cholesterol doesn't actually change as much um, as if you were to eat, let's say some high saturated fatty acids. And that's because the high saturated fatty acids that you eat actually change how your liver recycle the, the LDL. So that's really what matters more. Um, mm. So people that have lower levels, genetic levels of LDL cholesterol, they have the lowest risk of heart disease. People that have genetically higher uh, LDL levels have higher risk of heart disease. And then you look at all the drug trials or most of them anyway, and it seems that those all seem to lower the risk of heart disease. Again, the nutritional stuff gets a little bit confusing because it depends on what you replace um, the nutrient with. So, mm -hmm. for example, amen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, it's it's really hard. You can't again. That's why I guess that's why I brought up the RCT thing. It's it's you take a placebo, you take a, a drug. Pretty easy to see. In in nutritional studies, though, it's like okay, all right. So they're going to lower their let's say saturated fat, and what are they going to replace it with? Well, they can replace it with. You know what you can replace it with maybe protein mm -hmm. that's not really been done i haven't seen too many studies doing mm -hmm. that over the long term you can replace it with uh sugar probably not probably not a good idea you can replace it with like complex carbohydrates i would be like lentils maybe that would help lower your cholesterol mm -hmm. uh, and and then you could also replace it with a different type of fat which can also have an effect so each, it, it gets really complex and then it's hard to stick to that. And so the, all the studies that have been done that have looked at like cardiovascular outcomes were old all the time. They have these new Cochrane analyses that come out and it's always just the reanalysis of the old stuff. I wish the new thing, new, new studies would come out. It looks to be though, that those who eat more polyunsaturated monounsaturated fats instead of saturated fats have fewer cardiac events. They tend to have lower uh, LDL cholesterol it's not a slam dunk though, because again, it's more complicated than that. So right. there's a difference between like the, the saturated fat in butter versus uh, let's say whole yogurt, the similar fatty acid profile, but the butter will have a more pronounced effect on your LDL cholesterol mm -hmm. because it impacts your liver a little bit more. You know, you may not absorb as much in the, um, the yogurt. Uh, and then 
again, what did you, in, in a real life situation, are you just adding it or are you replacing it and doing a whole different, you know, are you losing weight? All these things have an impact. It's, it's, it's complex, but I would say that if I was just going to give somebody a blanket uh, um, guideline, I would say eat mostly plant-based. I would eat, yes, the dietary cholesterol will have an effect. It's not nearly as much of an effect as uh, a saturated fat. Soluble fiber matters. The soluble fiber actually binds up uh, cholesterol that's in your intestine. And so mm -hmm. actually, you know, just to go back to why dietary cholesterol doesn't actually make it a big effect. Most of the cholesterol in our intestines is from bile. Uh, it's, we actually make it. Yeah. So, um, uh, it, you know, you can add in uh, dietary cholesterol and it won't make as much of an effect. Um, now, if you have soluble fiber, it can bind up the dietary and the bile, biliary uh, cholesterol, and then we excrete it. And then what happens is our liver upregulates the recycling because it's like, wait, we're not getting back that bile anymore and, and uh, re we're not reabsorbing it. So it upregulates the recycling to then be able to make more. So that's another interesting thing. The soluble fiber makes a difference. Polyunsaturated fats seem to upregulate the recycling of the LDL cholesterol. Uh, there's people are worried about oxidation of the polyunsaturated fats. And this is why just eating a, an overall healthy dietary pattern, mostly from whole foods, you're not going to yeah. drink corn oil and use it to fry up <laughs> right. corn. That's, that's, that's what right. people think. And so like, yeah. really, anyway, this is, it gets come. I wish I could have like a PowerPoint. I could explain it a little bit better, but uh, actually I just did a PowerPoint. It's going to release on the Renaissance periodization YouTube. I go nice. over the little dietary things and explain it a little bit better, but. Um, okay, uh, cool. It's actually coming out uh, tomorrow, but. Um, okay. Awesome. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll link that. Um, and I, I mean, just praise be to things like oatmeal in this whole yeah. carb phobic world that we're right. in, because those, that soluble fiber is found in lots of different fruit. Hello, yeah. carb phobes fruit yeah. has it and whole grains and legumes. So yeah. I think that stands to be, you know, shouted from the rooftops when mm -hmm. people get on these, you know, very restrictive or, or specific diets where they're eliminating entire food groups, you know, there's, there's a time and a place for people to do that if they have an allergy or some, some reason, but when it comes to overall metabolic health, heart health, and the dietary pattern, which I'm so glad you use that word because you're right. We don't just drink corn oil or we don't just eat pure cholesterol right. and eat it in a context with whole foods that have a symbiotic, you know, nutrient profile that yeah. kind of work together. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, yeah I think like that's fish. Mm -hmm. If you look at the fish oil studies that God, they're mixed and like people get so angry and it's like, well, but then it looks like people that eat more fish tend to do better. But it's complicated because the fish comes with protein and, and there's other other nutrients in like salmon, right. oily yeah. fish. Uh, and and there, there may be some properties about like the EPA and DHA and specifically the EPA now they think, but um, it's hard to dial it down to one little mm. nutrient there. So uh, yeah, I think the other thing is so like people think oatmeal is not good for you because it raises your blood sugar. Well, no crap, it's, it is a carbohydrate it will acutely increase your blood sugar. If you're eating steel cut oats, uh, you know, as opposed to the more highly refined oats, hopefully it doesn't um, have as much of a glucose excursion, but 
the real underlying metabolic health issue is, is the fat that's surrounding our organs and heart and right. pancreas and liver. And that really comes down to the energy balance. So like, don't worry about the oatmeal acutely increasing your blood sugar. Uh, if it's helping you otherwise eat in an energy deficit or, or getting you leaner, uh, and you enjoy it, keeping you fuller yeah. because people will argue that cholesterol doesn't really matter. It's your metabolic health. Well, no, they, they both matter. We want to be insulin sensitive. We want our LDL cholesterol to be lower, LDL particles, uh, remnant particles, all these different things. And you can do that. You can have your cake and eat it too. Not really cake. It's oatmeal, but whatever. <laughs> well, you know, and then, I mean, just to piggyback on that, people act as if any kind of elevation of blood sugar is inherently a terrible thing right. that you don't ever want, you know, and that's just not the case. <laughs> no. no. I read something just the other sense. day. Someone was saying something about, I can't remember who it was, but something about you, it's impossible. You absolutely cannot lose weight with any kind of insulin present. Yeah. And I was just like, whoa. Oh boy. Yeah. That's physiology is working against every human here, I guess. That I is don't know. Quite the crazy claim. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. You know, it's funny. We have these new drugs out there, uh, glucagon, like one peptides and, uh, these have a cool story behind it because in the 1950s, they started doing these uh, studies where they injected glucose straight into your blood mm-hmm. versus they had people drink it and they wanted to see, well, whose blood sugar is going higher uh, and whatnot. Well, I would assume that your blood sugar would uh, and your insulin would go higher, your insulin really, not the mm-hmm. blood sugar, but the insulin would go higher if you injected it straight into your blood because it would hit your pancreas sure, faster sure, yeah. as opposed to drinking it. Well, they found out that actually drinking it made it go higher. And they they were like, well, mm-hmm. something's going on here. They, and they called it the incretin effect, the intestinal secretion of insulin, incretin, they shortened it. And what they found that they have these little incretins in our in our GI, uh, in our gut, and one of them's GLP, glucagon-like one, uh, GL, uh, glucagon-like peptide one. And what it does is actually enhances our our, uh, our pancreas's ability to secrete insulin. So now we have these, uh, mm. and it decreases glucagon, by the way. So we have these injectables now. Now there's actually a, there's a pill too, but it increases your insulin, yet it, people lose massive amounts of weight because it actually lowers your appetite and decreases uh, gastric emptying. And so it's like, well, that's not, so I guess, you know, that's increasing our insulin. So like, and people are losing a lot of weight. So that goes against what you guys think is there's so many right. things yeah. against what they, it's, that's why it's so complex. It's not just down to one little thing. Right. It's the insulin. Yeah. No, it's not. Yeah. That might be part of it. The insulin resist, but it's a little tiny little part. So insulin so- elevated less with injection, right? Yeah. That's crazy. So as a type one diabetic, what I'm hearing is instead of eating Kraft and Crunch, I should inject it, right? So you're telling me <laughs> <laughs> this is the way to go. Those little, yes. if it hurts the roof of your mouth, it would hurt your. <laughs> <laughs> so I am curious then, I mean, we've talked about be skeptical, use your spidey sense, those kinds of things. How can people, what tips would you have for people that are getting a lot of their information from social media? Mm-hmm. And as we've acknowledged, a lot of the voices that are loudest are probably misinformed or speaking half truths or just plain like nuts. They just don't know what they're talking about. How do you, do you have any tips for people to suss through this stuff? Uh, I, 
I wish I had had some good tips. The, the thing is like, if you're probably, if you're listening to this podcast, it's already what's called like a selection bias, meaning you're probably middle of the road and you're going to probably have good spidey senses. I, I just have a feeling mm -hmm. if you're following one of the extreme cult like gurus out there, you don't even want to hear, you don't want to hear anything different. You've confirmed right. your biases. Uh, if I, in like, it's, it, I'm not trying to praise you guys. I'm saying since you guys, the, the podcast is called middle-ish, you mm -hmm. see that there's a gray area and that uh, things are a little bit more complex than just one extreme or the other. And there's a lot of nuance. So people listening to this like that, they're going to probably go, yeah, they're, it's going to be, they're, they're going to know, they're going to have a good intuition if they're listening to this. Um, you just see if somebody makes black and white statements. So for example, like today I made a post about bariatric surgery. If I were to say bariatric surgery is the only way to lose weight and it's the best way to lose weight and nothing else works, I would be pretty skeptical. <laughs> if I said bariatric surgery, nobody should do it. It's barbaric and nobody should get cut open. That's ridiculous. You should be skeptical. However, I said, hey, let's not hate on bariatric surgery. It works really well for some. Uh, it's not for everyone but it's one of the most powerful tools we have. There are some potential harms. Here are the benefits. That's what I would say being reasonable is, uh, you know, then that doesn't get a lot of likes. In fact, this, this, <laughs> that, that, that post tanked, I, I Oh, I'm going to go like it right now. Yeah, You better go like it. I'm liking listening it. Is better like it. Cause There's otherwise my interesting feelings, comments on there. My, my ego will be hurt. <laughs> Nobody's like right. somehow. Okay. Somehow, I'm not believing that at all. So, but it's, yeah, well, so it's funny. Some I can tell sometimes. Some like when I take a very middle-ish. How about that? A middle-ish approach. Yeah, uh, nice plug. Some yeah. it doesn't do as well from the likes, but it's but it will get a deeper. Like the the comments are mm -hmm. usually um, wealth. Uh, there's some really nice comments usually when I do it. And they, they appreciate people appreciate people are sick. There's a lot, there's a group of people yeah. that are really sick of mm -hmm. the extremes. And I think, yep. you know, not to talk about politics, but I think we see it there too, where it's like, well, geez, I'm not like that. And I'm not like that. I'm going to take a little bit more of a moderate approach and not, nobody really fits my, um, mm -hmm. fits me. And that's kind of what most people I think most people are there. It's just the loudest people are the extremists. You see it on Facebook. You're kind of yeah. like, that person's crazy. That person's crazy. Ah, <laughs> uh, man, why are they so loud and so sure of themselves? Same thing with nutrition. Yeah. Uh, so if anybody's mm -hmm. making just very bold claims, there are some things that, you know, maybe you can be a little bit bolder about, like speaking out against whatever that's probably not good. Smoking. You know? Or right. some, you know, like, um, don't smoke. It's, we know it's, yeah. And yeah, you know, exactly. that's like a very common sense kind of one that we yeah. have just loads of research that, that says yeah. like, yeah. this is a very likely, you know, contributor to cancer or whatever, mm -hmm. or eating more vegetables. That's always where yeah. I go. Like, well, that's where the carnivores heard? will argue with you. That's oh. why I've done it. I've, I've said, I've, I've made this comment and just, they, they come in. And the thing is, I don't even have anything against the carnivore. I'm friends with a lot of these guys, as long as they're somewhat reasonable going like, Hey, if vegetables for some reason upset your GI tract and you just, for some reason, don't tolerate them. Well, you might want to try carnivore or whatever. Okay, sure. But then to come in and go, 
there's a guy that was just on uh, Joe Rogan who I've gotten in little spats with. We've texted a little bit recently, but uh, he was just on Joe Rogan and um, he uh, just so much, so much <laughs> nonsense. So plants cause cardiovascular disease. Cherry picks a study. It's just classic. I, saw that. I mean, I, I, you just, it's just so classic. You cherry pick some little aspect of something about plants. You then maybe pick a, a mouse study or you pick something that's very rare in humans. For example, this is why understanding like lipids or whatever, having a deeper knowledge and maybe not making such crazy claims. So plants cause cardiovascular disease. Why? Well, because they contain these things called uh, phytosterols. Phytosterols, if they do get into your bloodstream, are more atherogenic than, or maybe more atherogenic than say cholesterol. That's like the cholesterol that plants make. We make cholesterol, plants make these phytosterols. And so if they somehow get into your bloodstream, they could be more atherogenic. So then plants cause heart disease, right? That was the claim. Well, it's extremely rare for us to get enough of this in because what we have, we have these, these little, um, uh, checks and balances in our intestines and in, in our cells when we're trying to absorb these sterols. So in fact, some people supplement with these phytosterols because they think it helps. It does lower your cholesterol. Well, in some mm -hmm. people, there's a genetic defect in what's called the, it looks like a, it's a ABCG five and eight. It doesn't matter. It's like a bilge pump. You, we have this little protein that helps us absorb sterols and then it gets past that guy. And then all of a sudden, if it's, um, uh, if it's, uh, if it's a phytosterol, it gets pumped back out by these other, uh, uh, like this bilge pump thing. Well, some people it's rare. You can have defects in there. And those people do have high incidence of cardiovascular disease from both cholesterol, not mind you, it's not just phytosterols, but it's right. cholesterol and phytosterols. You're just absorbing way too much. And so you take a little bit of dangerous knowledge and then you apply it to all plants. It's like, no, that's not true. In fact, we know that most people that eat plants seem to fare better. So that doesn't really make sense. Most people say that vegetables are good for you. So anyway, uh, I wish I could say that uh, we could say vegetables are universally good, but there will be people that argue with you uh, more so than the smoking um, thing. <laughs> smoking, I think we can make a... I'm sure there's someone that out there that pretty would pretty bold claim. I know. Well, but, was it just uh, a few yeah. years ago? There was that study that said that uh, eggs were more dangerous yeah, than yeah, yeah. smoking cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I think going back to studies, it, it just, I think all this, I feel like we're making this point a lot is the point of a study is to control most things and have a variable. So yeah, we can ideally. understand what the variable does. But then the problem is we take those studies and then we put them into a situation where everything is a variable and it's, it gives us information, you know, and it lets us go, Hey, maybe this is a thing It looks like in these situations, you know, this is, this is the outcome. But when we then plug that into, you know, a complex human being with all kinds of variables going on, it may not pan out the same. Yeah, exactly. You know? And that's why it's tough. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's tough and, there are a lot of people trying to fix the nutritional sciences. You know, I'm not going to be able to fix it, but there's some smart people working on it. Yeah. Uh, bold claims, whatever. Yeah. yeah. 
So I have, I have a couple more points I want to get to before we let you go today. But, um, one of the things I read that I think is just so cool. And I want to hear about is you and your brother, Carl, who you mentioned, who's also a physician and then Canadian physician, Yanni Friedhoff. Did I say that correctly? Yeah. Uh, published guidance on creating a clinic gym. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. So it was always my dream to make a gym clinic because like in my mind, it's like, okay, so Miss Karen, my 60 year old patient who's been sedentary and very afraid of going to the gym, you get muscle heads bigger than me at the gym, stronger, whatever, hooting and hollering. And it's like, uh, (laughs) and then you get some other people, just some scantily clad people. It's scary to go to the gym and you're like, I don't, feel comfortable going there. I, I've trained for a triathlon a few years ago. And the first time I showed up at a pool, which I've never really been in a swimming pool other than to play around and whatever, I was a little bit intimidated going, and I'm like, you know, in a speedo, pretty lean buff guy, but it, I was still intimidated because I don't know what the hell I'm doing in this pool. I don't know how the <laughs> lanes go. I don't know what the etiquette is. I'm trying to figure it We've out. We've all been there. We've all been there. <laughs> so like, yeah. So like you, I can only imagine if I'm like comfortable in my own skins, whereas a, a beginner goes to a gym and everybody's hooting hollers, people meet heads walking around uh, and you're just trying to figure out how to get in a little bit better shape. Anyway, it's really intimidating. It's a real thing. So my idea was that you have a gym as your clinic, you, you're, it's hard though. There's a lot of issues with payment. If you go to a doctor, you expect the doctor to use insurance. And so then you want to use the gym and use your insurance, but insurance usually doesn't pay. Sometimes they do. There's some programs that do it. And then the doctor has the overhead of the gym. Well, there are multiple ways you can do it. Um, and I suggest them in the book. Uh, I've figured out a few models, whether you use like um, at the hospital gym and you put your own clinic within that you talk to the hospital if you create your own you you do something called a direct payment uh direct primary care type of thing where it's a low cost but then you get to see me whenever you come into the gym instead of making an appointment you can say hey dr spencer i think um uh, i think i need to get my cholesterol checked and then you just put the orders in there's also it, it makes things efficient you're you're creating a almost like a crossfit kind of community type of thing mm-hmm. is what i would expect um, anyway, it's, it's, I think it would be the, the gym of the future. I'm actually renting out an office here in a gym right now. This is where I am. I have a little office here and the next doors, uh, or right connected to this is the gym where my buddies own it. And, uh, if the pandemic didn't happen, this is what I was going to do. I was going to have patients come in here and then I can see them in this room and whatever. Now I do everything online regardless, but yeah. I do have some patients that come work out here, but uh, I think that's in Yoni, uh, Dr. Friedhoff, he, he, his office is a gym, but this is something my brother, he's an endocrinologist. So he's developing it there too. So I think it'd be ideal for preventive, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. preventive medicine and totally. Goes along with, um, I heard a story a couple of years ago and maybe there's more than one now of a, like a nutrition pharmacy, basically like a grocery store pharmacy where yeah. the prescription is you, here's your shopping list. <laughs> and yeah. these are the items you're supposed to go get. And they work with like local insurance companies to, to cover some of the costs, um, which is in the same vein of what you're talking about using that lifestyle intervention, which is super cool. Yeah. That, so that, that was the other thing is like, okay, maybe, and then you can set up, um, 
uh, you can get these shares at farms and you could do all the stuff and mm -hmm. try to make it as cheap as possible. I mean, the idea is that we all want to make money. We all want to do this, but like in an ideal kind of utopian type of world, it would be like every doctor's office has a gym connected to it and the food and whatever you go, you, it, it, that's what I think. Maybe I'm just too, uh, maybe I'm naive. I don't know. But that's, No, I think it's great. I mean, I think, you know, shoot, you could even have, you know, counseling, you know, right alongside their financial yeah. advice. Just, I mean, we, we tend to look at health in such isolated ways. I think, you know, a doctor does this and, you know, and, but it's also, again, interwoven, you know, it's like the way we are emotionally affects us physically and the way we are medically affects our mental health and all this stuff is so intertwined that it just, it makes sense to, to tackle a lot of those things together as a one cohesive team, you know? Yeah. I think it's a fantastic idea. This is exactly. a, a good segue into my final thing. I wanted to ask uh, Dr. Spencer is you emphasize helping patients be above all happier. Why is happiness so important to your practice? Well, you know, it's, it's hard to give a pill to be happy. You know, some people are, you know, just it, it's, it's, it's a, it can be fleeting, you know, mm -hmm. all, none of us are happy 100% of the time. I, I have low stresses and a pretty good life, but some days I'm like, I don't know, I'm just not happy today, <laughs> but, yeah. but like yeah. having an overall like quality of life, you know, so like when it comes to, let's say dieting or whatever, I get a lot of patients like I want to be 150 pounds. That's what I was in college. And that's what I want to do. I'm like, well, why though? Like what? I think I'll be happier then. I'm like, because of why though, like mm. if it's because you're going to be on fewer medicines, you're going to have less knee pain or whatever, that makes sense. But why did you pick that number? So it's a, a lot of times we go through like, okay, what, what, what's the goal here? Um, you know, and some people dieting may make people worse off. Is that, is like, you know, so I, I'm very individualized with people. I, some people I have to kind of pull them back a little bit, pull back the throttle. Yeah. Some people, you know, we can push the throttle down and, and maybe it will help, but it's, yeah. um, you know, overall quality of life. Is this going to improve your quality of life? Yeah. And some people, you know, some of these interventions worsen quality of life and it's really hard to get, it's, it's, it's easier said than done. I can't just be like, yeah, you really shouldn't diet, you know? And they're like, screw you. I'm going to another doctor and getting mm -hmm. whatever, but, um, <laughs> yeah. we, you know, just have a discussion, but happiness, you know, um, again, it's fleeting. It's, it's hard to make that, uh, necessarily a goal, but like somehow, somehow moving towards just having a better, healthier, happier life, um, in some sort of regard. Yeah. Love that. And I love that point of, you know, in, in a attempt, an intervention an approach, whatever to an, an attempt to be happier, oftentimes for people results in them being less happy because it's so yeah. disruptive to their lives and their family suffers and their, you know, emotional and mental well-being suffers, but yeah, I weighed what I did in high school, you know, yeah. or whatever, and everything else just sucks. And yeah. I think I think that's a great point. Yeah, and it depends. Like again, it just it just really depends on mm -hmm. the person. Maybe it's like, yeah, you know, we should really hit this hard, and if you do a good job and mm -hmm. you lose the weight and whatever, you are going to be happier just from the decreased pain or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then right. some people that may create more pain in other ways they never right. even thought. Yeah. 
Awesome. Awesome. So where can people find your work? We didn't even get to talk about Renaissance periodization, but you could uh, um, explain well, what that is real quick, or we can have you on another yeah, time and talk yeah, more about that. Yeah, we could do that another time too. But uh, Renaissance periodization is the fitness company I work for. Really, they were focused on like athletes and bodybuilders, you know, that people kind of see them as this like extreme dieting company getting people ripped, mm -hmm. but um, really we're what we are about is getting people to where I would say just eating better, healthier, moving more. That's my thing. And just like, you know, cause I, I may look like a bodybuilder, at, you know, not like some of the guys there, but like uh, as a doctor, I just want to get people doing a little bit better. So as a company, we're, we have programs and coaching that, that do that for people and I'm their chief physician coming out with some really cool products in the future. But uh, we have a bunch nice. of RDs on staff and other, PhD coaches. So, um, yeah, awesome. so that's what we do. And then, uh, but so you can find me on just Instagram at Dr. Nadolsky, D-R-N-A-D-O-L-S-K-Y. I'm on Twitter and Facebook, but Instagram's where I do most mm -hmm. of my stuff. Um, and then we have our RP YouTube that I do videos each week for a little bit more in depth on a certain topic. Yeah. And yeah, that's about it. Cool. Yeah. I'll, we'll, awesome. we will link all of that in the yeah. show notes for people today. Um, thank you so much for, yeah, I mean, that you. discussion just like probably blew up a thousand more questions <laughs> in my mind. So yeah, right? if, if you're willing, we'll have you on again. Yeah, um, of course. So this is about the time when Michael and I always do our meaning in the mundane. Would you like to join in or just is, listen? I'll, I'll, I'll listen and maybe join in. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so what we do is kind of at the end of every, every episode, we, we just feel like, you know, um, too often we wait for like profound, these huge moments to bring us joy when we, we kind of believe, man, there's like, there's meaning in the simplest of things, right? There's meaning in these mundane moments or significant meaning that we just kind of miss. And so our hope is that, um, people begin to find meaning in these mundane moments. And so we always talk about, you know, an, a moment over the last week or so where we've, kind of been doing some ordinary, random, boring, seemingly mundane thing that kind of hit us as, you know, like this is really showing me how special life is or a moment where I really connected with someone or something like that. So that's kind of this little closing segment we do. So no cool. pressure, Got it. no pressure all right. at all. But you want to go, Aaron? Sure. Uh, yeah. Mine was last night and you're going to love this one, Michael, because we had a very minimal socially distanced pumpkin carving party outside around the fire. I'm not <laughs> a fan of carving pumpkins. <laughs> not a fan. I thought about you as I was scooping out my pumpkin. I was like, Michael hates this stuff. Yes, but he does. <laughs> <laughs> but for us, I mean, so my, my good friend, Justine came over with her husband and of course, small group spaced out outside and I made soup and bread and we just, you know, had a few beers and we just kind of stood around the fire and chit chatted. And it was just the simplest thing, but she, she kind of pauses for a second and she goes, I've got a cup full of soup and nice hot bread and a fire. Fall is just the best. Like she just <laughs> was like, so happy and pleased with this very simple kind of setting. Yeah. Um, and then we carved pumpkins and it was just, it would, it was just a super fun, you know, makes me really appreciate those moments of just ordinary, you know, mm -hmm. seasonal kinds of things that you do, especially mm -hmm. during the pandemic where, right. you know, life just looks so different. So, yeah. um, 
So that was nice. mine. And I had to bring it up because you hate pumpkin carving. <laughs> I do. I was just, I think uh, yesterday or two days ago, Kathleen came home with a whole pumpkin carving kit. I was like, all right, good girl. I guess Kat. we're doing this thing <laughs> with the kids. So nice. Awesome. Uh, mine was just this morning, actually. I, um, I had a, I guess what you would technically call a sales call with a prospective client. Um, and we talked for about 30, 40 minutes, something like that. And afterwards, um, 10, 15 minutes after we got off the phone, you know, I got into this job because I, I like helping people. I like, um, you know, speaking value into people's lives and help them see their worth and all that kind of stuff. And so he was just telling me about just all these rough things that are going on in his life and why he's, you know, looking for someone to work with and stuff. And this about 10 or 15 minutes after we got off the phone, he sent me a message and said, I felt heard and understood. Thank you. And I was like, yes. You know, in the middle of this sales call, <laughs> you know, um, which is a very routine, mundane thing, something I don't enjoy doing at all. Um, there was meaning for someone. And it was just a good reminder to me of just, just be really conscious of um, the potential that this, that this job has and why I got into it in the first place. Yeah. So. And people won't always remember what you say, but they'll remember yeah. how you made them feel. Yeah. So. That's and good. then the funny thing is right after that. So he was in India. First time I've ever made an international call. Uh, I didn't think about the cost because like right after I got off the phone, I get this text <laughs> message from T-Mobile and they're like, you just made a $150 international call. It's like, oh, great. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> well, so we learn something every day. My bill's going to be a little higher. We'll do like, you know, Facebook or, you know, something next time. <laughs> yeah, do like the WhatsApp or whatever. Yeah. Uh, something else, man. Anything. <laughs> Yeah. be pen pals yeah <laughs> yeah my mine would be like my kids are they they're so cute and they can you know they're mm -hmm. almost one's three and a half or almost four and the other one's going to turn two and they can nice. be real pains in the asses of course mm -hmm. just like any kid <laughs> but uh the mundane thing is like you know my daughter or or son the son's the youngest one there'll be pains in the asses and then all of a sudden they'll just come up and snuggle with you and just you I know they're not going to be young for much longer. So mm -hmm. like, it's just one of those things like I got to enjoy this. And yep. so you, you have to sit there and, yep. and really take the good with the bad. Cause mm -hmm. uh, it'll, it'll drive you crazy. They do. Don't they? Mine mm -hmm. are nine and four. So yeah, that right around four ages. It's an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> so what do you, before we go real quick, what are you guys, what are you doing for Halloween? Are you guys going trick or treating? Are you staying home? Or? I don't think we trick or treat around here. I, I think oh, really? I think I shut it down. I, I think we're yeah. just doing a small with like two Some other friends. families yeah. that we hang out with, with their kids. Yeah. And yeah, just doing a little like painting some small pumpkins and nice. whatever. Fun. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, our neighborhood is organizing a Halloween parade. Where oh, they're fun. going to put put on costumes and, you know, they distributed flyers and invited people to sit out on the curb and you can either put little treat bags together or, you know, set treats out so the kids can come and self-serve and that kind of thing. So um, I think that's a unique, uh, you know, solution to the yeah, whole that's real fun. trick or treating thing. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right, Dr. Well, Spencer Nadolski, yeah. thank you so much. Uh, much. Such a great conversation, and we look forward to future conversations with you. Yeah. Sounds good. Podcast and, Thursdays and, are the day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Keep the memes coming. Yeah, please. <laughs>
All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. 